Welcome to the FDF podcast, passionate about food and drink. Hello and thank you for joining me for this FDF podcast on the impact of COVID-19 on food and drink manufacturing. I'm Nikki Hunt in my day job I'm FDF's Director of Membership and Commercial Engagement, but for the past five or six months I've been the Federation's lead on our COVID-19 response. I think to say that COVID-19 has been unprecedented is probably an understatement and as FDF and industry body we're used to dealing with food safety incidents occasionally. Uh, the CO2 shortage back in 2018 coinciding with the World Cup created problems for many of our members, particularly those in the bacon and the beer sector. And before that, we also dealt with issues such as the Fipronol egg contamination incident and even further back than that, Horsegate. I think it's fair to say we hadn't seen anything like COVID-19 and I don't think many other people had either. Um, the industry certainly hadn't. So in what was a, a very, very short space of time, we were pivoting into dealing with one of the largest ever peacetime emergencies and ensuring that we could keep the rest of the UK fed. Lots of shoppers have been used to high quality, affordable, readily available food. And over time, the big weekly shop had been replaced by people buying occasional smaller purchases, just deciding what they want for dinner and shopping for it. To see that sort of supply of food drying up, I think for most people was, was quite frightening. And as well as the health issues, obviously the empty shelves were a huge issue of concern, not just for us, but also for the politicians and the manufacturers as well. Several weeks before lockdown actually happened, people were already stockpiling as something that they was, uh, usually took for granted was starting to be threatened. And for our manufacturers also, this marks the start of what turned out to be a perfect storm of dealing with really increased demands whilst also managing their staff going off sick. As the testing system broke down, um, it was very hard to tell whether staff were sick with COVID or whether they were absent because they were, were shielding or were caring for another member of their family. FGS incident team, which we set up as all this started to emerge, encompassed colleagues from throughout the organisation. So things such as food safety, uh, borders, business finance, uh, and also our scientific colleagues as well. And we began the task of speaking to our members on an individual basis to see what the issues were for them as well. Around this time, the demand for product was pretty unprecedented with around about half of our manufacturers reporting uplifts of around 25% and in some cases, even more than that. Stock that they had accumulated for several weeks was being burnt through in just a couple of days. And there was particularly pressure on the ambient product sector as well and uh, long shelf life products, so things like cereal, pasta, rice, bakery and frozen foods as well. And also as we moved through the pandemic, we were also starting to see shortages in things like fresh meat and vegetables as well. I think for us, probably two pieces of purchasing stood out, um, one of which was toilet rolls and the other was banana bread. And I think toilet roll was really proof that in difficult times, we do revert to the most basic purchases. Um, in the case of the banana bread, what we were seeing was that as many people had spare time on their hands, they were resorting to us becoming home bakers, I think, largely to fill their time. And according to the gross poll, 86% of Britons made cakes and 51% made biscuits during this period. Uh, I think that was probably the sole exception to that. Um, banana bread was the most researched recipe on the BBC website. But all of this home baking, of course, did in turn create some shortages with the flour and bakery ingredients out of stock for many weeks in many of the major retailers. But for manufacturers, this um, stockpiling, this oversupply, this pressure on supply was not the good news that you would expect. And many of those supplying into the retailers lost promotions and some of their orders as well as the retailers started to consolidate their ranges around the staple goods. Easter was also a pretty mixed picture with restrictions in place. People weren't able to enjoy 
um, Easter get-togethers with their friends and families. So a lot of the products that would normally be bought for that season uh, were not happening. It also created some pressures on the indulgence on the, the Easter egg and chocolate purchases, as I think people were preoccupied with the health implications of COVID. Uh, they started to, to lose focus on that sort of thing. It was not all bad news for indulgence, though. I think the directive to work at home for office staff left to uh, an uplift in many of the categories. So things like cakes and biscuits have generally pre fared pretty well. Coffee and tea as well, um, they've been okay. And figures from data company Cantor show that in four weeks up to the 12th of July, £24 million was spent on tea and coffee, and £19 million more was spent on biscuits compared to the same period last year as everybody pivoted to, to working at home. The incident itself produced many challenges that most of us can't even imagine, wouldn't have imagined a year ago. Um, and in order to keep our member factories running, they needed staff on site and those staff are increasingly uh, going off due to sickness of themselves or loved ones. And of course, when the schools started to close as well, which was in the early stages of the pandemic. So a key task for FDF was really to make sure that we were able to gain key worker status for our member companies. This was particularly important, not just for them to be able to continue to send their children into school for childcare, but also for them to actually be able to travel into work. Certainly what we were seeing in the early days was that the police were stopping people and turning them back if they felt that they didn't have sufficient reason to be, uh, to be out and about. So for us to be able to obtain key worker status was really important for making sure that people could continue to go into uh, food manufacturing sites. I'd say pretty much every day brought a new challenge for the FDF COVID incident team. Um, shortages of food were also con compounded by shortages of things like disinfectant products, so hand sanitizers, and also PPE. PPE is used routinely for some of our sectors, such as milling and bakery, um, for the dust particles, obviously to pre prevent asthma. And the clamour for PPE kit meant that there were many occasions where um, some of our factories were possibly within days of quite critical situations. In the early days, the official guidance was pretty sparse. Uh, science were doing their best to keep going, but with initially very little guidance on handling an outbreak amongst the workforce, so they were left in limbo. However, I think the fact that food and drink manufacturing tends to work to extremely high hygiene standards already was an advantage because it meant that the rigorous cleaning and good hygiene that our, our members uh, had in place was already embedded into their factory operations. I think as we moved away from the initial factory operation concerns, the attention started to shift to the viability of the sector and some of the businesses that were seeing struggles. Whilst the retail grocery sector grew by £2.8 billion, the stockpiling situation had led to a, um, an assumption that the food and drink manufacturing world was doing pretty well. But the hidden impact was those members who were supplying into the £91.5 billion hospitality sector, which had collapsed virtually overnight. And the hit wasn't restricted just to restaurants and coffee shops. Most of our members uh, in that sector supply into airlines, train companies, schools, workplace canteens, cinemas and theatres, all of those sort of places. And according to the ONS figures, over 80% of accommodation and food service operations halted during April, leaving things like takeaway and delivery as the only operators in that sector. I think the logic for many outside of the food and drink sector would be that uh, repurposing food from food service into retail, uh, where demand was struggling, would be pretty easy. But often food for food service is manufactured to very specific 
specifications with uh, particular ingredients and often even created to be cooked on one particular piece of equipment. So it was not as easy as just bundling everything up into um, smaller consumer sized packs. Also food services produced in bulk. Uh, and again, specialist packing machine is, is required. Um, so it wasn't as easy as, as just moving from one channel to another. Many of the FDF members who supply the food service sector have suffered quite horribly during the COVID pandemic. And whilst there have been a number of attempts to repurpose through, food through dedicated websites, that's not always been suitable for some of the products. And also members need to make a commercial return. Whilst there was plenty of opportunity for donating food or selling it at below, um, below market prices, uh, that's obviously created a strain on a lot of those companies. Research that we carried out for the Industry Squeeze Middle Report, which I'll talk a little bit about later, found that 50% of the sector was experiencing problems with late payments or indeed non-payments of outstanding invoices from before the pandemic. Um, government finance schemes helped many of our companies, but they didn't always meet the need. Small and medium-sized businesses make up around 97% of the UK's food and drink manufacturing industry, and while many were experiencing serious cash flow concerns. The Coronavirus Business Interruption Loan Scheme, CBILS, was initially quite difficult to access and a relatively small proportion applied. And again, they had difficulties getting approval for some of those loans because again, in the finance sector, in some cases, it was felt that food and drink shouldn't be a struggling sector. The bounce back loan scheme was a little easier to access and much better for some of our small businesses. But our survey results are indicating that fewer of half of food and drink manufacturers applied for either C-bills or bounce back loans. Of those that did apply, fewer than 50% actually received funds. In Scotland, they had the Pivotal Enterprise Resilience Fund, and that was critical to many businesses up there, but it was initially oversubscribed and had to close before it briefly reopened for a second phase. Members were also flagging problems securing trade credit insurance. Our member survey was actually showing a fifth of UK food and drinks businesses had seen credit insurance reduced or removed altogether. So following discussions with governments, FDF actually welcomed a £10 billion support package that they gave as a guarantee for the trade credit insurance market. But there remain some barriers around that largely to uh, EU issues. So while some of our members were struggling to get enough staff to actually cope with demand, there were others that were needing to furlough their workforce. The government support that came in around furloughing meant that many companies have been spared initial painful decisions about redundancies. Some of our smaller producers in particular were stuck in, a, stuck in a difficult situation where they had a small number of orders that needed to keep going, but not enough orders to warrant keeping all of their staff on site. And the quite rigid uh, application of the, the furlough rules created some difficulties. Um, hopefully the more flexible option that's coming in will start to uh, gather pace for some of those companies. The situation for exporters was also quite difficult. Uh, the loss of the restaurant trade across Europe was pretty catastrophic for some of our members. Exports declined around 12.7% against the same period Q1 in 2019. Many exporters were also faced with additional costs around things like freight and also costs of chilled containers. And we'll shortly be producing a revised five-step guide for our exporters to cover the post-COVID situation for them. Business confidence for Q1 in 2020 declined quite significantly against Q4 in 2019. The regular FDF Business Confidence Survey found that 68% reported decline in business conditions in Q1 2020. It wasn't all down to COVID though. Members were also reporting some concerns around exchange rate volatility and also the concerns about securing a free trade agreement with the EU as confidence issues for this year. 
In terms of what we can expect for the future, I think even if a second lockdown does occur, there'll be few new issues to work through. We've worked through most of them first time round. On the operational side, I think we're still waiting to see how test and trace fully beds in and also whether the long awaited digital system is ever going to emerge. Uh, the wide scale staff absences, a result of test and trace and similar systems, have not materialised. There have been some isolated incidents, I think notably around the meat packaging and meat processing industries, where factories have had to close. But in many cases, the um, test and trace concerns have been linked back to social areas where staff gather, such as uh, workplace canteens and, and smoking areas, and in some cases, shared accommodations as well. So that's not really resulted in the concerns that we had at the outset of, of test and trace. So we're quite well into the summer now and currently seeing disruption to travel with holidaymakers returning from some countries, again, being forced to quarantine. And many companies are now fearing that uh, their hardworking staff who have now taken a well-earned break might also be facing another two weeks of, of self-isolation when they return. But by and large, most of the operational issues are now getting under control. I think in terms of recovery, that's a much, much longer game. And despite the wider opening of hospitality, leisure and transport, it's still likely to be quite slow. And obviously, consumer confidence around this is, is key. Uh, many restaurants and cafes still remain closed and some, of course, may never reopen, depending on their financial situation. Some celebrity chefs have also been quite vocal about the no-shows at their restaurants that threaten the viability. Um, and social distancing is set to remain in place for many months. So the practicalities for some of the restaurant and hospitality sector are pretty impossible. Hopes are obviously hinging on a vaccine, um, which may not be with us until next year. And even then, it might be the wholesale solution that we're hoping for. And also around some treatments as well to try and um, hopefully alleviate some, um, some of the public concern around that. Um, the working at home culture has been quite enthusiastically embraced by many, uh, with many of the large corporates actually announcing that they'd like to be out of the office until next year. And in some cases, some have already handed back the keys to large expensive office space after finding that the, the savings were outweighing the, the negatives for that. This might also see some longer term shifts in terms of spending and uh, rebalance from food service to home meal solutions. The treat sector has also done pretty well throughout the pandemic, with shoppers rewarding themselves with indulgent purchases as lockdown continues and snacks in front of the TV and the, the home cinema as well. Um, many takeaways have prospered and some of the more innovative restaurants and cafes have pivoted to provide home delivery to stave off the worst of, of their losses whilst they were officially closed down as, as restaurant businesses. During the lockdown, things like scratch cooking have increased, so some of the Time poor workers have more opportunities to test their home cooking skills. So some ingredients, not just bakery, were in pretty short supply at the, the height of the pandemic. In terms of purchasing patterns, that may be dictated on consumer confidence and future waves and lockdowns. Many consumers did uh, go on to online delivery when they were concerned about actually going physically into a store. But even those that uh, went into a physical store were buying more and less frequently. It'll be interesting to see over the coming months whether that remains a thing or whether with increased confidence we revert back to the little and often buying that we were doing before the pandemic. Some of the convenience stores were unexpected winners during the period and Cantar data has shown that convenience store sales rose over 30% this year as customers opted to shop in smaller stores where they potentially felt safer. Convenience stores took 47% of the £49 billion grocery, tobacco and general merchandise spend during the 16 weeks of lockdown. And the co-op survey indicates that 64% of consumers plan to continue with small store shopping.
often overlooked in the discussions are the supplies into the out-of-home sector and FDF together with a number of fellow trades associations in food and drink have produced what we call the squeeze middle report referencing those companies dependent on the out-of-home sector. The report calls for ongoing support on things like furloughing and targeted business support which doesn't include further debt for the companies in order to be able to support those sectors that are likely to take longer to recover. According to industry data, and thanks to our food service colleague Peter Backman for the figures, food service has lost £13 billion in sales to retail, which translates into £3.2 billion at retail prices and gives a 15% gain to the retail sector. Contract catering is down by 90% and the rate of recovery is also going to depend on the reopening of things like workplace canteens, uh, schools and also universities, although many of the schools have flagged that they're um, planning to go back, indeed have been instructed by government to go back in September. Some of the universities don't know what their plans will be for, uh, for, for next term. So many of the sectors of food and drink manufacturing have seen sales booms, albeit during a particularly challenging time for their teams. Some of the smaller challenger brands in many cases have done pretty well and they've pivoted to direct consumer models through their own websites, having to get up to speed pretty quickly on the, on the different channels of working. So they bypass retailers and the food service sector to, uh, to go direct. Hopefully consumers will continue to support some of these companies who pro provided the products direct to their door as the economy really begins to open up. In terms of what the economists are predicting, they're hoping for a better second half of the year. But they do caution that much of that is going to depend on keeping infection rates down, lockdowns localised and also the progress of uh, vaccines and treatments as well. So economists are predicting a better second half of 2020, but they do caution that some of that will depend on keeping infection rates down, uh, lockdowns localised and also the progress of vaccines and treatments as well to inspire consumer confidence. Many of our members are already in the throes of planning for Christmas. And of course, they're also looking closely at the progress of things such as the UK EU exit negotiations to see what will happen in the back half of 2020. Also, despite some of the very uncertain circumstances, one of our affiliate members, Grant Thornton, is reporting that food and drink mergers and acquisitions deals were down, but they were surprisingly high given the situation in the second quarter of 2020. Second quarter deals were almost half of that in the same period in 2019, so still quite well down. In the food service sector, there is starting to be some interest from entrepreneurs and investors looking to move in on some of the more troubled companies in that sector. So for FGF, we're starting to return to business as usual, or we're starting to absorb some of the COVID incidents into our regular work streams. There's still a lot of work to be done in some of the key policy areas. So things such as EU exit, uh, environmental policy, particularly around the key issues of plastics and packaging and the single use plastic tax. And also the government is now pushing on obesity during uh, the pandemic. Obviously, there was a, a link identified between COVID and being overweight. So we'll see this work start to gather pace over the back end of 2020. We'll still be working to help our members and our companies right across the sector. We'll be continuing to push for clarity on many of the topics that are still outstanding and also to create the right operating environment to food and drink businesses, both in retail and in the food service sector as well. If you'd like to find out more about the FGF's COVID response, our report on the pandemic is in the publications section on our website, www.fdf.org.uk. And also, if you want to find out more about becoming an FDF member, please email us on members.inquiries at fdf.org.uk. We've also got a number of free resources and webinars for non-members on our website that you can access at www.fdf.org.uk forward slash events. Thank you for listening to this FDF podcast. 
FDF is the voice of the food and drink industry, supporting our members with the expertise to develop, grow and strengthen their business. To learn more about how we can help your business, contact us at members.inquiries at fdf.org.uk. There's no better time to become an FDF member.